All right, just a few announcements before we delve back into Ephesians. After worship this evening, there is coffee and cookies. Woo! Downstairs in the undercroft, which we all really know is a basement. Downstairs, coffee and cookies afterwards. Also, if you're interested in being involved in Loft, uh, in the event that happens here with setup, with takedown, with drama, dance, light, sound, technology, hospitality, there are going to be sign-ups for that downstairs by the coffee and cookies, so go check that out if you're interested in helping out. And because you sign up doesn't mean that you have to be here like every week for four hours or something. We'll rotate it out, all right? So if you want to be part of what happens here or part of what happens during the week at chapels, sign up to be involved in that. And then starting tonight after worship down in the choir room, I'm going to be hosting what we're affectionately calling the chaplain chat. So if there's anything in the service today, in the sermon, that you think, oh, I really want to know more about that, uh, the Bible is a deep and rich book. And whenever anybody preaches a sermon, we can only delve a little bit into all of the material that's in one particular passage. So if you'd like to know more, um, this isn't like you're signing up for the rest of your life. If you just want to sit with your coffee and your cookie and listen to a little bit more about Ephesians, or if you've got a comment or a question, something that you want to talk about, choir room downstairs. I'll be there. All right? Great. I have checked everything off my list. I love checking things off lists. <laughs> You're all learning a little bit more about me every week, aren't you? We are looking at the book of Ephesians. This is the second in the series that will take us through the fall. The first one was last week, Sunday morning. For those of you who missed it, you can find it online, calvin.edu slash faith. So you can find that sermon there. Ephesians 1 can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 949. Page 949, and we're going to be reading verses 3 through 14, and then I just invite you to hold your Bibles open. It may be easier for you to kind of track what we're doing if you just keep the text open in front of you. Do you have the Bibles? You're good. Okay. This is what Paul writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, 
This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Yesterday, as many of you know, was Chaos Day. Yes. Woo! Indeed. Yesterday was Chaos Day. And if you've ever seen Chaos Day or participated in Chaos Day, you know that it begins with the dorms coming up one by one up the hillside. Everyone's dressed in matching t-shirts. And the dorm leaders, whether it's the RD or the AC or some of the RAs, are all dressed in costumes. So yesterday, running around, we had uh, the solar system in its entirety was running around. Yeah, shout out. Yes, yes. We had, we had bison, assorted bison in various forms. I'm not going to name you all, so I just want you to know. I can't. We had, we had dynasty slash Spartans, which also included, for some reason, the Pope. I found that very interesting. Yes. Yes. We had, we had uh, someone dressed up as a cactus. I thought that was great. Very entertaining. And um, we had the Incredibles, which also involved dance moves. Yes. Yes. I'm missing RVD, I think. What were, what were y'all? Okay, okay, okay. One person from RVD, tell me what you were. Ghostbusters, yes, how could I forget? You were like neon. You're like... In fact, we, we've been talking about uh, people who run and jog at night. They're really hard to see, and we thought, let's just give them some of those RVD t-shirts, right? Oh, yeah, X-Men. Thank you. Yes. All right, how could I forget? Yes. And what happens in an event like Chaos Day is that you may be with other people that you don't know particularly well, but if they are wearing the same t-shirt that you are wearing, they are family. <laughs> they are your brother or your sister, and you, together with them, will build a giant tower out of marshmallows and toothpicks. <laughs> On an event like Chaos Day, we feel like we belong, that we are part of a team, we are part of a family, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And even though I may have just met you, I will yell my voice hoarse for you in the tug of war. Because <laughs> I am part of something bigger than myself. I am part of this family. In this letter to the Ephesians, Paul gets really excited about this idea of belonging about this idea of having a community, of having a family. And the people to whom he was writing really needed to hear this. If you were here last week, you remember that Ephesians was most likely a circular letter, a letter that went out to a few different churches, including the church in Ephesus. And the people that made up all those different churches were probably Jews and Gentiles. And for the Jews that had come to know this Christian faith, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. They knew it. They, they knew that he was the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But what this meant was that they had people that they had known for years who didn't agree with them, who didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, and who thought that they were crazy. And suddenly this community in which they had felt for so long was their place of home, their place of belonging, it wasn't anymore. And then you had the Gentiles, 
The Gentiles, who had become part of what their friends and family probably know as a sect, this Christian sect with this weird guy that they thought was raised from the dead, and they probably paid a price for that. It's very likely that people stopped coming to their shop and went to the shop down the street. Some of the people who were Gentiles who were involved in civic government probably lost their seats of influence and power because they started to hang around with the Christians. And suddenly all of these things that had told them where they belonged and who they were attached to were slipping away. And we get that. We understand that. I mean, it is great on a Saturday morning, a beautiful Saturday morning, to wear a t-shirt along with everybody else and rally to the cause and feel like you're part of something great. But we all know what it's like to lie awake at three o'clock in the morning and wonder if you're ever really gonna make a friend here. We know what it's like to listen to people around the the dinner table or in the dorm basement debating a contentious issue and we want to weigh in but we're not sure that if we said what we really believed if these people would like us anymore. We know what it's like, too many of us, more than care to admit it, to sit in a class where everyone else is nodding and taking notes and we just want to raise our hand and say to the professor, I have no idea what you're talking about. We know what it's like at the beginning of the school year with new classes and new friends and new places to live, whether it's on or off campus, how we're sorting all these things out and where do I belong? To whom do I belong? Who cares if I don't go to class? Who cares if I get all A's? Who cares if I make or don't make the soccer team? Who cares if I make or don't make JV cross country? Who cares? Where do I belong? Who's looking out for me? And it's to the cry, that cry of the heart, whether it's from the Gentiles and the Jews in the first century or from Grand Rapids in 2009, it's to that cry of the heart that Paul responds, that Paul points us to the God who knows that heart. If you look at your text, verses 3 to 14, which you have there in English, in Greek, that's one long sentence. Yeah. One long, convoluted, complicated, beautiful, poetic, really hard to translate sentence. Now, normally what Paul does in his letters is he gives the little introduction. For those of you who were here last week, we talked about that. And then he moves on to a time of thanksgiving. He thanks the people for reading, for supporting him. He thanks God for what God's doing in them. But in this letter, he stops. He does the introduction, and then he does this, blessed be the Lord and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing, and all the blessedness is blesses. (laughs) Three times in that first sentence, bless, 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 bless. And what scholars think Paul is doing here is taking something from the synagogue liturgy and putting it in his letter. And the thing that he's putting in there is called a beracha, which is a word that means blessing. And in synagogue worship, there was often a time where someone would give a long prayer. Sound familiar? (laughs) Be a long prayer of blessing and exaltation to God. 
And it would always follow a formula. It would be, bless God because God has done something. So, blessed be God because he conquered our enemies. Blessed be God because he brought me out of the pit. And so in this beracha, which starts the letter, Paul is saying, blessed be God. Why? Because he chose us before the foundations of the world to be adopted as his children in Jesus Christ. Blessed be God who has adopted us as his children in Jesus Christ. Now, in the 21st century, we understand adoption as being a way to expand or increase your family. You uh, have a baby who's in need of a home, and you match the family that's ready to care for the baby with a baby who's in need of care, and that's how it works. You can adopt domestically from your own country, internationally. This is what adoption is. It's caring for orphans. But in the first century, in the Roman Empire, adoption had a very different purpose. If you three could come stand right here with me. Excellent. And then Justin and Bennett, and I don't know your name, but you can come up too. Randy? Brandon. All right. All right, we've got Bennett. Line up in order of height. Nice, nice, nice. Good. And name? Kelly? Jackie, Carrie. Carrie. All right, Kelly, Jackie, and Carrie are in one family, and Bennett and Brandon and Justin are in another family, and this is the way it works. If this is your family and you have these three beautiful daughters, that's great, but it's also very expensive. <laughs> because each one of these three beautiful girls needs to be married off out of the family, and every time they leave the family, they take money with them. They take a dowry of gifts and money, and they bring it to the family in which they are married, and then you are left with nothing. You have no heir, you have no one to carry on your name, your stuff is like going to Salvation Army, you got nothing. So what they do in those instances is they look around and they say, well, there's a family with three fine young strapping men, they certainly don't need all three of them, so you come over here with me. You be my son. Now, this guy gets the family name, he gets the inheritance, he becomes the heir. What do those guys get? They get a bigger chunk of the pie, right? Because if you've got three sons, all of them have rights to the estate. You get rid of one, less infighting. The estate stays secure, right? So, Bennett becomes the son over here, gets everything, it works out great for him. These guys are happy because they have more access to dad's loot. And then someday when one of them runs for office, they still remember, oh yeah, that's right, he's my brother, I can support him. And these two families become tied. And there's another power dynamic that happens. Thanks guys, you can sit down. Oh yeah, give him applause, <laughs> applause. So adoption meant strengthening your family ties and ensuring your own legacy. It wasn't about caring for orphans. In fact, they never adopted babies. I mean, how are you going to know how a baby's going to turn out? <laughs> what a gamble that is. Who would do that? So they would wait until a child was at least 10. 
30% of the children in the Roman Empire in the first century died before the age of 10. 30%. And so you wanted to wait to see if this kid was healthy and smart and able to lead. You wanted to know that he came from a good family and that when he came into your family, he would make it stronger. You didn't gamble on somebody who was unproven. You didn't gamble on somebody you didn't know. I mean, the kid could die for Pete's sake. And then you spend all this money adopting him and you get nothing back. So Paul says this about what God did. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world, before you had any hope of proving yourself. Before you had any chance to show how worthy you were, how valuable you were, how healthy you were. Before you had any chance to make it about you, God made it all about him and his amazing love for you. And that's a really good thing because most of us would never make it on our own. None of us would make it if it were on our own merits. I mean, we are messed up. We are so sickened by the disease of sin even the good things we do have tinged motivations. I'll help with we haul because it looks good on my resume. I'll help out with loft because maybe that'll get me some God points. We try to earn our way, but we are sick with sin. You know that. You know how you wrestle with addictions that you can't shake, whether it's to pornography or video games or nicotine. You know how envious you are of that student who always does better than you, even when she doesn't even try. You know how good you are at snubbing people in the dining hall without them even realizing you're doing it. There is no way we get anywhere near to God's family on our own. And God knows that too. Which is why he gives us Jesus. You have a list of things in your mind right now that would keep you away from the presence of God and should keep you away from the presence of God. But it is only because of Christ that we get into this family. It's only because of what God has done in Christ, anticipating the fact that none of us will do it on our own, knowing in advance that all of us are gonna fall short of the glory of God. This is what he does. He gives us Jesus Christ. In verse seven, Paul reminds us that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. The family of God is a place where sinners are welcome. The family of God is a place where those of us who are sick and broken and always pick last for teams, those people are welcome at the table 
because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God was so crazy in love with you before the foundations of the world that he made a plan, he made a way for you to never be separated from him, but to be drawn near through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. As Phil Rianzi writes, there is nothing you can do that's gonna make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God is crazy about you. This past Thursday afternoon, I went to St. Mary's Hospital to visit Miriam Hope Bradford, who is the newborn daughter of our associate chaplains, Nate and Amina Bradford. And yeah, you can give a woo, that's great, that's good, yes, yes. And if you were paying attention to the family pictures that were circulating uh, before worship, you saw a photo of, of them together. And now, Miriam looks like a typical newborn, right? I mean, she's got the scrunchy face, and she's got the eyes that don't focus, right? And she's got kind of the sticky, outy black hair. But to her mom and her dad, oh my word, she is the most beautiful child ever created. I was holding her, and sometimes when I would laugh, she would be sleeping really comfortably, and then I would laugh, and she would do this with her hands. <laughs> and, and Nate would go, oh, those are her jazz hands. <laughs> right? And, and he would laugh every time she did that. He'd be like, isn't that great? That's so funny. And I'd be holding her, and I'd be talking with Amina, and Amina would be looking kind of at me, but mostly at her daughter, looking at her with this adoration and amazement. And Miriam has done nothing. <laughs> I mean, she's done nothing. I mean, like, you know, she sleeps, she eats, she poops. That's kind of what she does. That's, she does nothing. She has not cleaned a room. She has not mowed the lawn. She has not discovered a cure for cancer. There is no reason that they should love her yet. There is no reason except that they are wired to love this which they have, with God's help, created. And when you love something that way, she never has to prove herself to them. She just gets to be. Because when you are so crazy in love with something or someone, you just want that person to be, to live, to thrive, to flourish. And that's how God feels about you. When you wake up in the morning and you stretch and you yawn, goes, oh, he says. God says, oh, look at her yawn, it's so cute. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite thing. Look, she's gonna go to choir, she's gonna sing. Oh, look, he swims. God is crazy about you. He is crazy in love with you. And that is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, your brother, so that God's family could be together, so that he wouldn't have to be separated from you, brothers and sisters, and so that you, brothers and sisters, wouldn't have to be separated from each other. And if you look at the text, you see how Paul writes about God the Father, and then he writes about God the Son, and then he says that we have been marked 
by a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who lives among us and animates us and allows us to be brothers and sisters together. Because being brothers and sisters in the family of God is like something we sing about, we talk about, we think it's really important, but you know what? It's really hard. It's hard to be brothers and sisters together in faith. I mean, some of you are having a really hard time confronting your roommate over the fact that he or she snores. Right? If, if you're having a challenge with that, how are you going to talk with them about how things are going in their spiritual life? How are you going to talk with them about their use or abuse of alcohol? How are you going to talk with them about matters of theology, things that really matter if you can't talk about the little things, like I really can't sleep with a nightlight on? <laughs> it's hard to be brothers and sisters together. So we need the animating, empowering, enlivening work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says to us that we have been marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And a seal in those times was often poured out in wax and then stamped. And it would say who owned this thing and what it was and what its purpose was in the world. So if you own the wine, you made the wine, this is the kind of wine, this is what you use it for. It's medicinal wine. It's party wine. It's wine that goes well with duck. Right? You, you like label it out. You say so that nobody can mistake what this thing is. And Paul says that that's what happens to us. When we accept what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, when we say we are sick of worrying about our sins, keeping us away from the family of God, when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit who says this one belongs to God. That's who owns this one. And the purpose of this one, he also gives us, it is to live for the praise of God's glory. That's your purpose in life, to live for the praise of God's glory. And when the Holy Spirit works and moves in you, so you're able to be vulnerable with each other, you're able to confront each other, you're able to laugh with each other, you're able to love each other, then the family of God is complete. Last night, I was, yesterday evening, afternoon, evening, I was working on this sermon and there are uh, what we'll call a series of unfortunate events. And uh, it just wasn't happening. It just, there were a whole bunch of distractions and, and I was just sitting there frustrated and tired and I, and I just thought well you could you could email people to pray for you I thought well it's Saturday night who's gonna no one's gonna check email that's a silly thing to do I thought no you really just just do it and so so I sent this email out and the whole series of unfortunate events involved a very large mug of hot tea spilling all over my keyboard and myself thank you <laughs> and and so when I, I started the email and it was fine, and then by the end of the email it didn't even make any sense because half of the letters weren't working, and I just, I just hit send. <laughs> I don't know. 
And within just a few short minutes, there came this reply from one of my friends in my uh, discernment and accountability group who's out in Washington State. And she too was writing her sermon at that time. And she wrote back just this beautiful prayer. And then somebody else wrote back, amen. And then, you know, it was like, yes. And then this morning when I went in the back of the church, one of the people who was in that group saw me and, and she, the first thing she came up to me and she said was, how is the sermon? And I said, you know, I've been working on it all morning and, you know, I, I think it'll come. And, and she said, well, you've, you know, you've been pouring out a lot, you know. You've been doing a lot of stuff. She said, when is your Sabbath? And I said, it's tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is my Sabbath day. All Mondays, all year long, I'm not going to be here. I'm, I'm holding you, asking you to hold me to that. I can't be here on Monday as much as I would like to be because I need to rest and restore. But here's the whole point of that wonderful story is that the Holy Spirit was the one who was like poking me with a stick. Like, would you email some people? Would you get some people to give you some prayer coverage? Would you do this? Would you just say that you do not have your act together for a minute? Can you do that? I think you can And by doing that and sending that out, I just got so much support back. And even uh, in the half an hour before I walked over to be here tonight, somebody else in that group sent me a text. I'm really praying for you tonight. And these are my brothers and my sisters. These are the people who hold me accountable, who laugh with me, who pray with me, who help me become the best daughter of God I can be. That's what we get to do for each other. That's what the family of God is all about. And we took this picture. We took this picture at the beginning of the service. Look at that. That is your family. That's your family. Whatever you do here at Calvin College is learning to live with these people through eternity. Because the family of God is an eternal family. We are brothers and sisters not only for this season. We're not just Calvin people together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. And you know at the beginning of the service, those of you who were here, you saw pictures of different groups of people. You saw, maybe you recognized the cabinet of the college, President Biker and the vice presidents. Maybe you saw some of your own pictures. Maybe you saw a picture of me with my sister. All different groups of people, some of whom are related through birth or adoption, all of whom are part of the family of God. The Holy Spirit is ready and waiting and eager to help us really become brothers and sisters together at Calvin College and it takes vulnerability, and it takes trust, and it takes risk. But the benefits are that I know I can rely on you, and you know that you can rely on me, and together we are shaped more and more into the image of our big brother, Jesus Christ. You were chosen before the foundations of the world to be in the family of God. Love each other. Love each other. My brothers and my sisters, 
love each other as God in Christ has loved you. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we join with Paul in blessing you for all that you have given us in Christ. We thank you that our sins, which should keep us so far out of your family, are instead, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, washed away, forgiven, gone, and we can sit at your table. That you are the Father who loves us, is crazy about us. Lord, help us to live in that love. Help us to love each other well. Help us to bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' name, and all my brothers and sisters say, Amen.